0: Support for NPR and the following message come from the Wallace Foundation, fostering improvements in learning and enrichment for disadvantaged children and the vitality of the arts
1: for everyone. Ideas at wallacefoundation.org.
0: What better way to kick off a summer of movies than with F9, the ninth installment of the main Fast and
2: Furious franchise. It's got cars, it's got bad guys, and it's even got John Cena. And in case you're wondering whether there's anywhere to boldly go where no one has gone before, there sure is. I'm Aisha Harris. And I'm Linda Holmes. And today we're
0: talking about F9 on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Here with me and Aisha is Sam Sanders, the host of NPR's It's Been a Minute. Welcome, Sam.
3: Thank you. F9, more like F yeah. F yeah. <laughs>
0: And also joining us is NPR White House correspondent Aisha Rasko. Hi, Aisha. Hello. We have just uh, determined that uh, I will be referring, if necessary, to our own Aisha Harris as Harris because otherwise I'm going to confuse myself in my head, and also because it's on brand for this movie. So F9 concerns the efforts of John Cena's Jacob to get hold of a device that essentially will give him control over all electronic things in the world. He's in league with Charlize Theron's Cypher, the hacker who got away at the end of Fate of the Furious. Complicating this situation up to a point is the fact that Jacob is the brother of Vin Diesel's Dominic. Now you won't see Jason Statham or The Rock in this story because as you may recall they've been peeled off into their own partnership but you will see some old friends and in The Worst Kept Secret in Hollywood you might see a little bit of space. I want to start with you, Aisha Rasco. What did you think of this movie?
1: I loved it. I Absolutely loved it. Like, I was laughing a lot during the movie, but I feel like these movies want you to laugh. Like, certain things happen. Sometimes there's a literal minefield, and then you start going, ah! <laughs> You know, you start doing that. And, like, my hands were going up in the movie theater at certain points. And at the end of it... I felt like a rush of endorphins. Like I think it was a mix of being in a movie. I actually saw this screening in a movie theater for the first time. I definitely recommend seeing it in a movie theater. It'd been a really long time since I'd been in a movie theater. Even without the pandemic, I got a whole bunch of little kids. I don't get to movies that much. But there was something about being in the movies, seeing the explosions, seeing all the the death-defying stuff that just like worked for me as it always does. It was like a release. Like it was amazing.
3: Yeah, <laughs> was A spiritual like, experience it sounds it like was. for you. <laughs>
1: it was like endorphins. It was like, if you work out, you do a good workout. And then afterwards you're like, I feel better. And <laughs> I was surprised by that. And there is one line, I, you know, I don't want to spoil it. But what I love about Fast and Furious is it's really a family movie. It's all about family. That's, mm-hmm. that's the thing. It's all about family. In every movie, I can count on Dom saying, "It's because we're family." Yeah. And I was waiting for that the whole movie, and they finally gave it to me, and I was so excited because it's really all about family. That's what it's about.
0: And then you always have like the backyard (laughs) meal where they're all sitting around
3: the table, and and everybody shows up, and the corona. And none of them can grill. None of them can grill. I'm always like, "Who is making this food? Where is the?" Mm -mm. No, can't do it Mm -hmm, like that.
0: mm -hmm. All right, Sam, what did you think of the movie?
3: So. I went really deep on this film because I went to see it at a press screening at the Chinese theater here in L.A. And it was mostly critics in there with me. And there was laughter, half of the movie. And first I was like, are they laughing at the movie? Are they laughing with the movie? And I have this theory about this movie now. I want to make the argument in the case that it is hetero camp. You know, we think of camp as usually being queer, gay-coded in some way. But as Susan Sontag wrote in Notes on Camp, a few quotes here, bear with me. The essence of camp is its love of the unnatural of artifice and exaggeration. The hallmark of camp is the spirit of extravagance. Camp taste is above all a mode of enjoyment, of appreciation, not judgment. Camp is generous. It wants to enjoy. The whole point of camp is to dethrone the serious. F9 is camp. Once you see it like that, it all makes sense. Like, this movie asks you to lean into the absurd from the very start. That opening scene where they're absurdly continuing to try to make Vin Diesel and Michelle Rodriguez seem like a believable couple. You know, (laughs) trying to make us believe that in any world, Vin Diesel and John Cena as brothers. Like, seriously? And, like, there are these lines that are delivered even early in the film that are just delivered almost campily like when Tyrese and Ludacris show up at Vin Diesel's house and Vin looks around to Michelle Rodriguez and goes were you expecting company it's just so (laughs) over the top and like it's supposed to be like this movie is supposed to be absurd and if you accept that it's a really fun ride like you end up with Tyrese and Ludacris and a vintage Pontiac in outer space (laughs) to destroy a satellite like come on I can't yeah. rave enough about the absurdity of this film. My only gripe is that it's probably forty minutes too long. It's about yes. two and a half hours long. I think it needs to be a yes. clean ninety minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've also read some reviews that like poke at like plot holes. This oh, movie is not about on. plot. No, come, on. come on, no, you know, like there's a plot you could care about, but you don't have to care about it.
0: Is it the plot about going to space, or is it some <laughs> other plot hole? Because they all seem minor.
1: Well, I. They got babysitters really fast. And yes. that was like, oh my gosh, where do you get a babysitter? that Like, that was the biggest, yep. I, and, and they explain it, but it was still like, that was really fast. Yeah,
0: yeah. and I, I would add to what Sam was saying about camp, because I'm into that argument. I think there are people who would argue that this is probably too mainstream and corporate yeah. to be camp, yeah. but to me... It's not just camp because they ask you to believe that John Cena and Vin Diesel are brothers. It's camp because Helen Mirren, who plays, once again, the mother of the um, Shaw brothers, because Helen Mirren comments, oh, that she knew they were related because they look so much alike. (laughs) That's intentionally funny and absurd. Like, that's commenting upon the absurdity. They're in on the joke. That's pointing at putting something of a lampshade on the absurdity
2: of what they're doing all right harris what'd you think (laughs) well i don't think it's my favorite fast of the series but i think for a movie that We've been waiting for it for over a year now. It was one of the first films, actually, to pull itself from the schedule. I'm so glad it's here. I'm glad I got to see it in the theater. I'm glad that my partner, Ari, who is the one who actually got me into this series into the first place, was able to watch it with me. And he was laughing the entire time. We both were laughing the whole time because it is funny. It is the type of movie where they they write these lines because they know that it is just the stupidest thing you can ever say. Some of the stupidest <laughs> lines that come out of anyone's mouth comes out of Tyrese's mouth uh, <laughs> as Roman. He is sort of the Will Smith of the film obviously. these series he's the martin lawrence of the film he's the guy who thinks he's the will smith but is really the martin lawrence because (laughs) 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 because he's got like the who's and the ha-ha's down and like those those like really corny one-liners down but then he's also obviously the goofy one who tej played by Ludacris, is always like playing jokes on and just telling him, like, you're stupid. You don't know what you're doing. So I love all of that. I also love there's one line a character says, and they're, you can see them on a little tiny handheld screen, and the screen is all blotchy in that very, you know, sci-fi, fantasy way, action movie way. And they're like, Mayday, Mayday, my plane is under attack by rogue agents. Like, that kind of stuff <laughs> is just so fun and so dumb. And I just really enjoyed it. I also just enjoy looking for the moments where Vin Diesel... If you know anything about this franchise, his ego plays a big part behind the scenes in this film. And there's flashbacks to him and John Cena as brothers being younger. And the actor they get to play Vin Diesel is like four or five inches taller than the actor they get to play John Cena. (laughs) That was my
0: favorite part. My favorite part was he was like like a head taller than the guy who plays
1: young John Cena. Well, And then John Cena hit a growth spurt. (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've also read that in previous films in this franchise and this current one, Vin Diesel and other stars of the films have been so concerned with how they look. Mm-hmm. They negotiate how many punches are thrown in fights oh, and yeah. who gets to look like they won.
2: Especially when The Rock is involved. That is a big thing. Wow.
0: That came out in the Wall Street <laughs> Journal a few years ago. There was a story that said that they all kind of carefully track. Like, whether they're getting the better of the other guy in fights. Which is, like, the kind of vanity that would never be tolerated in women, I have to say. Like, yeah. <laughs> it would ruin a woman's career if she yeah. if she ever displayed that kind of vanity. You know, I liked this movie. I, I have fallen a bit out of love with these as they have become more and more obsessed with hacking and guns. I think hacking is really boring in action movies. I don't like watching people sit on a screen. There's literally a moment where Charlize Theron's character, Cypher is going up against Ramsey, the computer hacker in the gang. And they're doing the thing where they're, like, typing, saying, oh, I'll give you something to cry about, tap, (laughs) tap, tap, tap. (laughs) Well, you won't see me coming, tap, 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 tap. I find that kind of stuff so boring. And I also really, like, nothing bores me faster than big gunfights, especially at this point when I've seen so many of them in so many movies. I think you see a lot of this franchise kind of adopting the habits of lots of other franchises. Look, longing for the days when these were car racing movies is kind of like longing for the days when MTV was all videos. It's Mm. sort of pointless at this (laughs) point. Mm -hmm. But I still feel it a little bit, especially since I think there's an argument that at this point there's nowhere more for these things to go in terms of just escalation. Yeah, They've already so, gone to space.
1: Exactly.
0: <laughs> so it's kind of like, well, what
3: now?
1: Under sea. Don't say it out loud. I would watch I, yeah.
3: Tyrese and Ludacris in the submarine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wanted more
0: kind of inventive set pieces. I was a little bit mm-hmm. bummed. There weren't like any of those you know, the way that in Furious 7 you have the the cars jumping between the buildings or even in Fate of the Furious there were the cars dropping out of the windows of the building. <laughs> Those kind of things that just make you go, yay! Like that, <laughs> I didn't really get my yay moment in this movie particularly and I was a little bit bummed about that. I mean... Okay. But it is what it is. I don't think John Cena is a dramatic actor, but that works perfectly
2: because neither is Vin Diesel. So, I, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Arguably no one in this film besides Charlize Theron and Charlize Theron is clearly doing the can't be, very hammy yeah. performance and loving it. Yeah. You know.
0: Maybe Natalie Emanuel, maybe, um, who I think true. I've seen in a couple other things is a, is a decent dramatic actor.
3: I want to know what Charlize's contract was because it felt as if she filmed all of her scene work in three hours and then left.
1: Yeah. Yes, it seemed like it was like a pandemic or something. Yeah, I don't yeah. know
3: why you get a name that big and not use her. Use her yeah. more. She's really good at action movies. She is perhaps <laughs> the truest action star of that film. That's the thing. Having seen her in like Atomic Blonde, when you
0: see her in this mostly just sitting in chairs and tapping at computers, it's like okay, or in either a she was cage. exactly. It's like either she was tired, <laughs> or she was trying not to get injured because she's doing something else more interesting. Or she just said, sure, I'll take the money, but I'm going to do it all sitting down. Do you know what I mean?
2: Yeah.
1: That was one of my frustrations with this movie. I'm I'm like, why isn't Charlize doing more? Like, you have her in there. And I mean, I know this wasn't filmed during the pandemic, but it had a very, like, six feet away feel. It did. (laughs) Like, plastic bubble feel.
0: She could have been anywhere. She could have been in isolation. I, I will say I did very much enjoy Seeing Han again, missed Han very much. Love that character who, it's so complicated, died and then undied and then sort of re-died. And it's very complicated. But they managed to bring him back, which, and I, I I love that character. I think he's super charismatic. I was happy to see him again. I love the fact that they bring back Lucas Black, who was in Tokyo Drift as just like the rando. And Bow Wow. And, and Bow, Bow wow. wow. They bring back these guys who like were the not Vin Diesel and Paul Walker in Tokyo Drift, and then they bring them back like just to be goofballs. I kind of dig that. I like how they sort of use everything even if they're not really using it anymore.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree with Linda, though, that it does feel like it's sort of plateaued in a way in terms of what they can do, and which is why I think this movie had to get so incredibly meta in part. You know, yeah. other recent movies have done it as well. And again, it's usually Roman who's the one who's, like, he's going to spell out, like, everything that just happened and explain the like the absurdity of it all and be like, so, you died, but you're now back. And isn't that crazy? How does that happen? Like, all those moments. And, it, you know, I think the question is, what haven't they done yet? You know, they haven't done underwater yet, at least not for a long period of time. And they haven't done twins yet. Like, We've had siblings come back who we mm-hmm. didn't know existed, you know. Yep. Mm-hmm. Where are the twins? Yeah. Can they do time travel? I wouldn't mind
3: that.
0: That's right. possible. Or time travel. Time,
2: yeah. Another idea,
3: big animals. Uh,
0: uh,
2: right? Well, maybe if they time okay. travel and go yes. back to like
0: elephant, yeah. rhino, or woolly. Can mammoths. they
3: mash it up with woolly like mammoths. Jurassic Park?
2: Hippos. Yeah. They haven't hippos? hippos. Absolutely. <laughs> hippos are dangerous. Those things kill <laughs> lots of people every year. They
0: do. You can <laughs> see that what happens when you sit around and talk about F9 long enough is you get to hippos are dangerous. And that's because <laughs> it just opens up your mind in a fantastic way. And yes. uh, yeah. and we want to hear, of course, what you think of F9. You should find us at Facebook.com slash PCHH or tweet us at PCHH. When we come back, it will be time to talk about what's making us happy this week. So come right back.
3: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Teladoc. Teladoc is here for you with 24-7 access to board-certified doctors who can diagnose and treat non-emergency conditions like sinus infections, allergies, rashes, and more. And Teladoc's doctors can, where authorized, call in a prescription to be filled at the pharmacy of your choice. Download the app today or visit teledoccom NPR.
1: The following message comes from NPR sponsor Grubhub. Staying up to date on the latest pop culture news
0: can work up an appetite. Grubhub's got you covered. Grubhub partners with over 265,000 restaurants across 4,000 U.S. cities, working hard to serve restaurants so restaurants can work hard to serve you. Today, Grubhub's doing a little extra to serve Panera. Get a free delivery perk on your first order from Panera of $15 or more. Order through the Grubhub app or online. Welcome back to Pop Culture Happy Hour. It is time for our favorite segment of this week. And every week, what's making us happy this week? Aisha Rasko, what is making you happy this week?
1: So what's making me happy this week is a show called Mythic Quest on Apple TV. And it is like really awesome. I just discovered it ads were popping up on my screen, like, this is a great workplace comedy. I said, let me check that out. So advertising worked. And (laughs) I really love it. And it's made me cry. It is touching me. It's about a video game development company and, you know, kind of workplace shenanigans. And that and, made you cry. And and that made me cry. Okay. <laughs> but then they do, <laughs> they do backstory and the characters. It can get very touching, the relationships between these characters and there were just some touching moments this season that made me actually cry.
3: Aisha had a long pandemic year. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: know, it's like, mm. I, you, ex- I'm, I'm, you know, I'm excited at the movie theater. I'm crying at Mythic Quest. <laughs> You're feeling it's, your feels. It's been You're a long time, okay? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you
0: know, that's been on my list for a long time. So perhaps I shall check it out. Mythic Quest on Apple TV. Thank you very much, Aisha Rasco. Sam Sanders, What? What? What is making you happy this week,
3: Sam Sanders? This week, what's making me happy is a trailer for a new Netflix dating show called Sexy Beasts.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs>
3: and the premise of the show is quote, Sexy Beasts is a new dating show where real life singles sport elaborate makeup and prosthetics to put true blind date chemistry to the test. They really undersold it. These really <laughs> hot people are dressed yeah. up like pandas and ox and beavers and, and scarecrows devil. and baboons and the, and the devil. In this one trailer that's like 80 seconds long you see a panda ask an ox if he has health insurance you see a beaver say the words quote ass first personality second you see a scarecrow like a narwhal wall's head fin you see a baboon kiss a she-devil that's all in 80 seconds it made me so happy i will never watch this show it marks the true end of like the golden era of tv i think it's really bad for tv writ large but the trailer was funny and I loved it and it made me happy. Sexy Beasts.
2: Sam, didn't you watch Love is Blind with us?
3: Sure did. Sure did.
2: I was going to say Love is Blind yeah. is the reason we're getting this show. <laughs> yes. yes. As Ms.
0: Aisha Harris pointed out on Twitter this morning, it is all of our faults for watching Love is Blind. Sexy Beasts coming to Netflix, possibly bringing about the end of the world. <laughs>
3: yeah. Oh. <laughs>
2: Aisha Harris, what is making you happy this week? Well, in 1996, when I was a wee child, I recall seeing the movie The Hunchback of Notre Dame and being slightly scared of it and not really loving it. Still watch it a couple of times after that. Love the music. I know the music like the back of my hand. I think it's Alan Menken and Stephen Schwartz's some of their best work ever. But it's one of those forgotten movies, forgotten films uh, within the Disney canon. And it's celebrating its 25th anniversary this year. And because of that, we've gotten a few retrospectives, uh, oral histories. And one oral history I would love to point you toward is one at slashfilm.com. And it's uh, written by Josh Spiegel. And it has so many of the major players involved. You have um, Steven Schwartz, Alan Menken, Jason Alexander, who played one of the gargoyles, Brenda Chapman, who is one of the storyboard artists and writers on the movie. And it's very long, but it's totally worth it. There are so many really interesting tidbits, like the fact that Michael Jackson almost got involved with the music which I didn't know until now. <laughs> Apparently, Mandy Patinkin was a diva during one of the auditions, and some of the uh, the folks behind the scenes renamed it Battleship Patinkin. <laughs> so nice. it's really interesting to just hear them talk about the successes and failures and the way in which they view the film. It's not all just like happy reminiscing. Some of them talk about really how they feel like they missed the mark in some ways, either tonally or visually. So I highly recommend checking out this oral history of The Hunchback of Notre Dame. That's at slashfilm.com. Thank you very much, Aisha Harris. Uh, Making me happy
0: this week, I love a thing I didn't know about until somebody told me about it. And um, one of my uh, Twitter correspondents alerted me to a project over at Disney Plus called Launchpad Shorts. And it's a thing that Disney did where they offered resources to a set of filmmakers who are from kind of underrepresented groups of of filmmakers to make short films. I've watched a couple of them. I look forward to watching the rest of them. And the one that I want to highlight is called The Little Princess, but like the S's at the end are in parentheses so that it's prince or princess. And it's about two young, probably seven or eight, I'm going to say, Chinese-American kids, one of whom takes ballet and loves pink and plays with dolls and the other of whom plays basketball and kind of is into sports and they become really, really dear friends. But what the film is really about is the way that Gabriel, he's the one who takes ballet, that his parents support him. There are some wonderful filmmaking choices that I think really drive home what it means to a kid to be supported by their own parents, what it means to hear a parent love you and stick up for you. I just thought it was beautiful. Um, Again, it's called The Little Princess, and you can find it on Disney Plus under their Launchpad shorts. Strongly recommend that you poke around in the whole thing. I hope that Disney follows through on the promises that it has made to those filmmakers to support them, to help get their work out there. I hope that turns out to be a good thing for those filmmakers but I do recommend it. I also want to mention before we go, Glenn wrote NPR's podcast startup guide and you can attend the virtual launch party. He will be joined by our pals, Gene Demby, who's the co-host of the Code Switch podcast and PCHH producer, Jessica Reedy, who I'm sure would love to answer all your questions. The virtual event is this Tuesday, June 29th at 8 p.m. Eastern. That's 5 p.m. Pacific. And you can RSVP now at podstartup.nprpresents.org. Again, the virtual event is Tuesday, June 29th, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. And you can RSVP now at podstartup.nprpresents.org. That brings us to the end of our show. You can find all of us on Twitter. You can find me at Linda Holmes. You can find Aisha Harris at Crafting My Style. You can find Sam at Sam Sanders and Aisha Rasco at Aisha Rasco. You can follow editor Jessica Reedy at Jessica underscore Reedy, producer Candice Lim at TheCandiceLim, and producer Jared Gare at Jared M. Gare. And you can find our producer, Mike Katziff at Mike Katzif, K-A-T-Z-I-F. Mike's band, still called Hello, Come In, provides the music that you are bobbing your head to right now. So thanks to all of you for being here to talk about F9. Thank you. Yay.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: And thanks, of course, for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. We will see you all next week when we will be talking about the legacy and the impact of the entire Fast and Furious franchise with this wonderful panel. See you then.
2: Legendary oceanographer Sylvia Earle has spent eight decades exploring underwater, and she has good news. Areas that are protected, you can see recovery. How We Save the Ocean, part two of our series on the TED Radio Hour from NPR.
3: This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One, offering checking and savings accounts with no fees or minimums, and a banking app to check balances, deposit checks, and transfer money. That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC.